This basically means that there are ideologies and there are agendas being pushed in media, in books and literature, at universities, all across the fruited plain that have a political motivation behind them. And it means that what they're doing is they're using your life to advance their agenda in vying for power. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. All of us are on a journey called life, and the goal of the Salty Pastor Podcast is to help you navigate it for yourself. We do this by strengthening you through knowledge and tools. The deeper the knowledge you have, the greater the wisdom you possess. We focus on what is true, and this is going to help you clarify your options and knowing what you believe and why you believe it. And finally, we encourage you with support, helping you find other people who want to grow and develop on this journey called life together. Again, my name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak, wearing his salty shirt today. So I don't know if that means you're going to get extra salty or just the regular amount of salty. I don't know. It's good to be here. We got a lot of things going on because I do believe that what we're talking about, you know, marriage in this family series is uh, under an assault by our society. And unfortunately, when people have bad marriages or their marriages dissolve or they can't find the right partner, their lives are miserable, Mm. you know? And yet our society is gaslighting people and telling them, do this and it'll work and it never does. And it's like, when will people wake up and realize it's not, you know, true what society's telling you? So I'm really glad we're studying this topic, and today is going to be pretty salty. Yeah, and we're focusing on our families, and and the first foundation stone for a healthy family is marriage, right, Mm -hmm. Pastor? Um, On Tuesday, we read a large amount of scripture from the New Testament so that you could hear how much is actually in the Bible when it comes to marriage and family. Now, Pastor, I'm going to ask you to do something, (laughs) which I don't think you'll have an issue with, but there's a lot of pastors that do, and, and what I want you to do is Let's apply these principles that we read in the Bible to today's current situations. Yeah. Well, I think the number one decision that impacts a man's success in life, and a lot of people have really been talking about this recently, a lot of guys that coach men and are helping men, uh, a lot of these guys that are former Navy SEALs that are now you know, life coaches and stuff, they all say the same thing. And that is the thing that impacts a man's success in life more than anything else is who he chooses to marry. Mm. And uh, if he makes a bad choice, then his life is miserable. Uh, Number two, the number one factor in a woman's fulfillment in life is who she chooses to marry. It's really fascinating, but research is showing now women who choose not to marry and pursue careers get into their 40s and their lives are empty and they're filled with regret. This is just what the research is pointing out. The number one influencer when it comes to the health of your family is who you choose to marry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm beginning uh, to see a trend. You're, you're seeing a trend. So to quote the ancient knight in uh, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, choose well. Choose well. Remember he, the guy? He did not choose well. And yes, he, and he got melted, evaporated. And then the knight goes, he chose poorly. poorly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think specifically my generation and, and the upcoming generations are really struggling with this idea of choice. One, because I think... Most of them almost are so stressed 
I would say it's one of two things. One, they're so worried that they're going to choose poorly that they just mm -hmm. don't choose at all. They're kind of yeah. stuck in this overthinking process. Or they just put in the idea of, well, I can always just get a divorce. Everything's. I we talked about this at yeah. youth group with the boys earlier this week, and it was we have a very disposable culture now. We don't like cars. I mean, to replace a Tesla fender, it's actually more expensive than just buying a new Tesla. Oh my and goodness! So you look at your phone, you look at all these things in our life. We don't fix anything anymore. Yeah. We just replace it, and I think that has seeped into a lot of things as far as yeah. our relationships as well. How do? Why do we not connect as a generation? Well, we're worried that we'll either be replaced or we just don't want to put the effort in, so we just replace it. Oh, I can always get a new one. Marriages are starting to get the same trend. Oh, I can just get a new one. Yeah, which is sad because, you know, th these poor choices have impact on these younger generations are being convinced of things that cause them to make poor choices that negatively influence their lives and it, it and that's sad to me absolutely so pastor tell me what we can tell my generation and the younger people that are coming up how to choose better well i think there are fewer and fewer intact families so it's harder to stay in love now more than ever and the only thing that has really changed during the last 50 to 100 years is culture so you have to come to the conclusion that there's something going on in culture. Like you just said, you know, the, the disposability uh, in our culture, which in some ways is not bad. You know what I'm saying? When you know, something breaks and you replace it, wow, it's awesome that we can do that. But do you treat relationships that way? You know, is that really how it's supposed to work? Uh, culture has changed and it's seeping into our, our persona, our ethos, our attitude towards relationships, and that has a huge impact on it. Mm -hmm. So in order to have a really good marriage, uh, you know, I think these are, there's two things that are absolutely necessary, and I mean necessary. If they don't exist, then there's no way in heaven that you're going to be able <laughs> to choose well and stay married. It's just not. And what are the two things? First, you have to understand the point and purpose of marriage, okay? The things you have to do, right? Uh, uh, you don't, and if you don't do these things, you know, um, and if you don't understand the point and purpose, if you don't clarify it and know these things, then there is no way to set proper expectations about marriage, okay? Now, when you know the point and purpose of marriage, right? Then you're more disciplined and you're more willing to work and take ownership for your own stuff. You're more uh, capable of growing uh, and maturing in the process because the purpose of marriage is higher than your own selfish wants and desires. So the very first thing that you have to do if you want to make a good choice and you want to stay married is you have to understand the point and purpose of marriage, not just your marriage, but what's the point of getting married? Mm. And you have to clarify that and know that and understand that you can't do it on a whim, right? Number two, you have to know and understand how your society undermines the point and purpose of marriage every single day. The world in which you live is filled with worldviews, ideologies, definitions, concepts about relationships that have political motivations behind them. 
This basically means that there are ideologies and there are agendas being pushed in media, in books and literature, at universities, all across the fruited plain that have a political motivation behind them. And it means that what they're doing is they're using your life to advance their agenda in vying for power. And they're vying for power by trying to elicit a cultural change. And we talked a little bit about this on Tuesday when I made the comment that, you know, there all these men uh, are opting out of marriage and dating and, and half of them aren't even seeking or want it. And, and I said, who's happy about that? Well, the feminists are, which is a political ideology, right? And their political ideology is to get rid of men. Mm. You know, one of the leaders of third wave feminism says that lesbianism is the ultimate mission and purpose of feminism is that we want to get to the point where men can be eradicated from society. These are radical statements that they say. Mm. And, you know, it's really interesting because the media doesn't ever point this out. They just say, oh, it's about equal pay. You know, you see what I'm saying is what they do. And, but these agendas, these people write this stuff. It's out there simple Google searches, you can read it, you know, it's not being hidden. And so we have to understand that society has groups of people with political motivations behind them that are telling you and influencing you how to perceive, how to act and what to expect from marriage. And because these things are in opposition to the point and purpose of marriage, if you don't recognize their influence, if you don't recognize their pressure, on you, it's really hard to protect yourself from them. It's hard to defend your relationship, your marriage from these outside influences that want to undermine it. So what are the biggest things our society is doing to undermine our ability to have successful marriages? Give me some examples, Pastor. Well, let's go upstream for this. And uh, I, ha I actually have a video that I want to show you. And before I have the video played, I want to set it up. And it's this woman. Uh, she's a professor. Her name is Camille Paglia. Okay. She was a, she is a feminist icon, a leading feminist. She is also a lesbian. Okay. She's never been married. She's uh, written tons and tons of books, but she talks about what's happening in our society. And it, what she talks about is the disillusion or the diluting of the differences between males and females. Right. So let's listen to what she says, and then I'm going to talk about how this is a person that pretty much disagrees with, you know, all of my propositional things that I believe in, right? Mm -hmm. And yet she says something that that she is she's come around to gr agree with what I've been talking about for a very long time. So let's listen. Androgyny. I've always been fascinated, attracted, you know, to the subject of androgyny, uh, and, and that's what the sexual persona is. I explored it in history, but the, the more I explored it, I realized that um, that historically, this uh, this uh, the movement toward androgyny occurs in late phases of culture. Okay, as a as a, a civilization is starting to uh, unravel. Okay, and that, that you can find it again and again and again through history in the in, in the in the Greek art. Okay, you can you can see it happening all of of a sudden, okay, there's, a, there's a kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the sculptures of, of, um, of handsome, nude young men athletes that used to be very robust, okay, in the archaic period suddenly begin to seem like wet
noodles, okay, you know, toward the end. Okay? And, that, uh, and, that, and that the people who, who, who live in such periods, a late phase of culture, whether it's, it's the Hellenistic era, whether it's the Roman Empire, whether it's, it's uh, the Mauve decade of Oscar Wilde in the 1890s, whether it's Weimar Germany, people who live in such times okay, feel that um, they're very sophisticated, they're very cosmopolitan. Okay? Homosexuality, heterosexuality, so what? Anything goes and so on. All right? and so, but, but from the perspective of, of historical distance, okay, you can see that it's a culture that no longer believes in itself. Okay? And, then, and, and then what you, what you invariably get are, are, you know, are, are, are people who are convinced of the power of heroic masculinity okay, on the edges, whether they're the Vandals and the Huns, okay, or, whether, or whether they're the barbarians of ISIS. Okay? You see them, you know, starting to mass on the outsides of the culture, and that's what we have right now. That there is a tremendous uh, and, and, and rather terrifying disconnect between the infatuation with the transgender movement on, in, in our own culture and what's going on out there. Okay, right? and, so, and so I mean that's why I'm concerned. I feel it's ominous. Okay. All right. So she said a lot, and here she goes. I'm, she says, I'm concerned. I think it's ominous. And she said that this trends that we see of androgyny and the transgender movement ideology that's taking root is uh, been seen in other cultures. Uh, everything mm -hmm. from Weimar Germany. You can go back to uh, uh, the, the Hellenistic period. You can go to Rome. You can go to other cultures. And what ends up happening, she says, is you see this. These people think they're so sophisticated. They're so advanced. And yet what they are is they're, they're in the late stage of societal collapse. And I think what's happening here is what she's pointing out is there is a denial of specific roles that there are males, there are females, there is masculine, there is feminine and society's role is to attempt to remove any difference between the two. And I, you know, I, I don't try to be political, but when the president of the United States stands up in front of people and says, there's no difference between males and females. Women can do anything that males can do. And the press applauds it is so uh, enlightened and civilized and cosmopolitan. What we're, what we're witnessing is the collapse of our society. And because there's this, the notion that there's no difference between males and females is just absolutely unequivocally crazy. It's just nuts. And, and that is seeping into everything. Your, your society is undermining your capacity as an individual to have a healthy, normal relationship by destroying any semblance of difference between males and females. And when you do this, you're destroying any all sense of roles that males are required to step up and have certain roles and do certain things. When you push a man to uh, take responsibility for himself and step forward and be a man in his marriage, you know, women who are married to these men applaud. Mm -hmm. they, they love it. It, it, it. They realize, wow, this is so amazing what's happening. And so what you have to realize is your society is absolutely in opposition to this idea that builds healthy marriages. Because 
Males and females are attracted to each other. They're bonded to each other. They improve one another. They help each other, encourage one another, stimulate one another on the, on the basis of what is known as polarity. Uh, the, the, they're not the same. You know, if you do not maintain a modicum of polarity in your marriage, you're not going to have a healthy marriage. I can't tell you over the last 37 years how frustrated women are when they come in and they go, you know, I'm, I'm the main breadwinner and I'm raising the kids and I'm doing the housework. I don't know what my husband does all day, right? You know, because he's not helping out. I'm exhausted and I'm sick and tired of it. And he won't get a job. He has no ambition. He's so, he has no self-esteem. He has none of these things. And I go, well, the reason why is because you're being both feminine, right? Taking care of kids and, and caring and doing all of these types of things and housework and things like that. You're also masculine. You're making all the money and you're budgeting it and spending it and you're doing all these things. Now, does that mean that in your marriage, you know, only men can manage money? No. The point is, is that when a woman assumes both masculine and feminine roles in her marriages, it never works out. Conversely speaking, when a man assumes feminine roles in his relationship with his spouse, guess what? It never works out. You know, uh, one of the biggest things that I have heard, I know this is anecdotal, but uh, I'm sure there's some research out there that, that points it out, is that women require to be healthy spiritually and emotionally a sense of security, right? They have to have a sense of security. And, and so that means they have to have confidence in their male. And what, what is really, really interesting is Jordan Peterson talks about this. One of the highest aspects, right, of masculine behavior is the drive to protect, right? And another part of masculine behavior is this is a lack of agreeableness, right? Okay. <laughs> and there's a the women tend who are feminine tend to rank much higher in agreeableness, right? So, so you think you think over through thousands and thousands of years of human history, who is it who's usually out adventuring and discovering new things? It's mostly males. Right. Because males want to like, they always want to go out and they want to discover fight a bear or something. Yeah. They want to fight a bear. Uh, who, whose idea was it to, you know, strap a rocket ship to a motorcycle, you know, to see how fast it would go. Do you think a bunch of girls or women are sitting around drinking coffee going, wow, this would be awesome. Right. Who, who did that? Now, can a woman figure that out and be an engineer? Sure. Could she be a mathematician? Yeah. You're missing my point. If you don't, if you don't understand what I'm saying. Um, um, well, that's kind of a redundant thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> You're missing the point if you don't get this. And the point isn't capability. Women are just smart as men. Men are just as smart as women, right? But they are totally different in what drives them and motivates them and what they care about. Feminine is primarily con considered uh, interested in people more than things. Guys can sit around and talk about things all day long. They can talk about their guns and their cars and stuff. Women tend to talk about people and relationships, right? And so they're much more higher in agreeableness. This has all been proven psychologically. Nobody doubts the literature on this, right? And yet the president of the United States stands up and says there is no difference. It's absolutely ridiculous. And so what happens is if there's no polarity in your relationship, um, and the point I was going to make is that women come in and say to me, um, you know, I'm so frustrated. I don't have any respect for him. I don't love him 
anymore. And then the guy says to me, uh, I don't understand. I do everything she asks and everything she wants. I always agree with her. And now she says she doesn't respect me. And, he, and then she says, exactly. See, that's the point is a feminine woman does not feel secure from feminine energy. And feminine energy is high in what? Agreeableness, right? Um, if you want, you have to keep that polarity. If you're a man in your relationship and you want your wife to be secure and relax and not be frenetic all the time, you have to be masculine. And that means sometimes just simply saying, no, why can't we do it? Da, 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 because I said so. See, what you're communicating to her is, as a man, I have non-negotiables. As a man, I'm not going to do that. As a man, we're not going to bust the budget. You know, he has to learn to say no. Okay? And that's how you maintain polarity in the relationship. See, oftentimes women want to solve problems. What? The feminine tends to emphasize the emotional side of it, which is very important. I'm not discounting that. And men tend to solve problems logically. Okay. And so this is how you keep households out of debt. This is how you keep households on track. This is how you solve problems you, is you have to have logical as well as emotional together. That's polarity. You see, so, so the issue here is that you live in a society today that doesn't want polarity, right? And, and it is doing everything it can to destroy polarity. And that's why it's so hard in your marriage. That's why you have all these guys that don't know what to do in their marriage because they've been told that any manifestation of masculinity is toxic mm. and they're good guys, right? A lot of Christian men, they're like, well, I, I want to do what's right. And I don't want to scare my wife by being masculine, but that's the world telling you what to do, not God. God says over and over again in all those verses that we read on Tuesday that you were created a male, you need to act like a male, you need to stand up and lead like a male, and you need to give her something that she can respect and honor. You know, acting like her girlfriend all the time and being feminine and emasculated and a beta male does not do that. It just creates instability. So, and then you add to our society's push and you see the manifestation of this over and over again in the way our society is pushing this trans movement. The trans movement is the personification of a society that is crumbling before your very eyes. The very notion that sex and gender can be separated is a logical fallacy of epic proportions. It is some idiotic notion created in some cultural Marxist's professor's mind in some university who doesn't live with the conclusions of their own position. It's just absolutely absurd. You cannot separate it. It's impossible because our gender expression is rooted in our biology. They are one and the same. Now, can you be a guy and maybe be a little bit more effeminate? Sure. But you're still a guy, right? You still have the XY chromosome right. and you have to, and just because you may feel more effeminate, right? You still need to learn masculine qualities that you must bring to the table in order to create a healthy marriage. So you have a healthy family. The, the very notion that sex and gender are different is a fallacy. Just when you ask very basic, simple questions, like for instance, this, if a transgendered person needs gender 
affirming care, why is gender affirming care require a sex change Hmm. if sex and gender are totally separate? That is a good question, Pastor. (laughs) See, it's just, these are basic questions. And it's symbolic of our society. In some ways, it's gone off a cliff. And even people like Camille Paglia that you just listened to, who is a feminist icon, she's a lesbian, and she says, this is crazy. Mm. So what else is society doing that undermines our healthy marriages outside of (laughs) what we just covered? I know we don't have a lot of time left, so I want to just get any other thoughts you have before we wrap up for the day. Well, I think that we have to realize that that it's not just a uh, ideological thing where people are just giving you ideas. You sit in a university class and they fill your head with this stuff. But I think there's other ramifications. Uh, uh, you know, there's a ton of research coming out right now. And if, if you're a young woman, you need to understand this, okay? And what happened is probably the most radical technological shift in the last hundred years was the pill. Mm. People don't realize this and coupled with a sexual revolution. Okay. And I want you to listen to this gal in a Ted talk. She, she talks a little bit about the implications of women when they are on the pill and what it does to their, their desire and who they desire is males. Let's listen real quick. Um, So research finds now that women who are on the birth control pill prefer partners with less masculine faces than do their naturally cycling peers. And this is something that is found both when women are identifying men that they would like to have as short-term sexual partners and also the people that they'd like to have as long-term romantic partners, right? The research has also found that pill-taking women are actually choosing as partners men with less masculine faces relative to naturally cycling women. And they found out that the pill-taking women, indeed, were choosing as partners men with fewer testosterone markers in their faces. It's time to put the power of information in the hands of women to let them know what trade-offs they're making with the birth control pill so that way they can make informed choices about their health and who they most want to be. Okay, see, now here's this gal who's talking about science and research saying that when women are on the pill, they pick men who are more feminine than masculine. And this also uh, spills over into not just facial, you know, markers, right? But it manifests in personality attributes. So when women are on the pill, you know, women will go on the pill in college or high school, right? Because they don't want to get pregnant and they want to be sexually active. And so uh, they think, oh, it's no big D. But what happens is they choose as short-term sexual partners or long-term relational partners, men who are less masculine, right? Then they come to a point where they decide, I'd like to start a family, okay? So they've lived with this person, um, uh, married to this person for any number of years, maybe 10 years, five years, who knows Who knows how long. And then they decide to have a family. So she goes off the pill, right? And they have two or three kids, you know, usually in fairly close succession because now family planning is all about having your kids within a certain period of time, right? People like their kids close together. They that, grow up, they do better. That's what I hear. <laughs> happens all the time. And, and then, so after that, once they have two kids or once they have three kids, they um, all married couples face this choice, and that is, well, is he going to get a vasectomy or is she going to have her tubes tied? And a lot of times the female will say, I'll get my tubes tied, right? 
In other words, she gets sterilized and she can't have any more kids, right? So what does that mean when she gets sterilized? She doesn't need to take the pill anymore. She doesn't take the pill anymore. What happens if her husband gets a vasectomy? She doesn't take the pill anymore. And so then guess what happens to her desire and guess what happens to her physiologically, emotionally, because of her her hormones being changed now. So this guy that she picked when she was on the pill is now less attractive because he's more feminine in his attitudinal attributes. He's more emotional than logical. He's, he's more interested in community sharing and we're both partners and we want to, and she's like, well, I want to stay at home. And he's like, well, we can't make it unless we both work. And, and so you see what people need to realize and what the gal says is you need to have the knowledge and the trade-off of what you're doing. This is because of your society. Now, am I saying you shouldn't take the pill? No. What I am saying is that your society has adopted technologies and pharmaceuticals that change your makeup. And you need to know that because our goal here at Salty Pastor is to tell you the truth, give you the knowledge and tools so that you can make your choices. And you've got to realize that if I am on the pill and I'm sexually active and I've been on the pill for a while and I find a guy and fall in love with him, but then when I go off the pill, I'm going to have a totally different emotional makeup towards this situation. Mm. And we're going to have a lot of problems. And that's exactly what's happening. I see it all the time as a pastor. So th- this is happening in our society uh, that promised freedom for, uh, to have sexual activity divorced from childbirth. And by separating sex from procreation, it changed the very nature of relationships. It's changed the structure of relationships and how they're formed. You need to know this because you've got to work through those things if you want a healthy marriage, which is the foundation of a healthy family. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for sharing all these um, insights with us in relation to what the Bible is talking about. This is is current day aspects that we're dealing with that we need to be aware of and that you need to be able to make a choice with the proper knowledge, not just the the superfluous knowledge that the culture lets free when it feels is is necessary, but what's actually happening and why it's important. So now with this knowledge, you're armed and you can decide what you believe and why you believe it because you now have more information. So we thank you, Pastor, for sharing that with us. And we thank you guys for joining us here on this Thursday episode of the Salty Pastor Podcast. And we'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Blessings.